0: I was reading an article on the internet the other day by, in a prominent magazine where an uh, interviewer was talking to Fred um, and he was basically um, Fred Rogers and he was basically uh, asking him a lot of questions and their interview went long and so they decided to move it to a lunch date also so they went out and got in Fred Rogers' car and he gets out of the car, into the car and pulls up to the exit of the parking lot and it was like Fort Mill at five o'clock, car after a car after a car after a car after a car, and you know they just waited there and waited there and waited there, didn't know really what was up. And so the interviewer looked over Fred Rogers and said, "Don't you ever get upset?" And he kind of paused for a minute. And he looked at me and he said, "Well, yeah, don't you?" And the reason why I use that example is because I think we um, think that Jesus is Mr. Rogers. When we think of Jesus, we think about the smile. We think about the kindness. We think about, um, what he does and how he is there for everybody. And he's got a great story. Of course, he's gone to be with the Lord, but, um, I think we do. Well, in the scripture this morning, we're going to be talking about a Jesus that ain't Mr. Rogers. Um, and no one really wants to think about Jesus like that because we want Jesus to meet our needs and do the things that we want him to do rather than necessarily be who he is. And so um, we're going to look as a continuation. Our pastor started in the Gospel of John several weeks ago. And um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to John 2. And we're going to start in verse 12. Verse um, but before we do, uh, also our pastor a couple of weeks ago um, basically was telling us what the theme of the book of John was. And it's a twofold theme. I'm sorry, but I ran over last time, and so I need to put my watch on. Um, you don't want me to run over. And the theme of the book is in chapter 20, verse 31. And it says, These, things, these have been written so that you may believe, uh, believe that Jesus is Christ Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing uh, you may have life in his name. So kind of a twofold um, purpose. Number one is kind of an apologetics type um, uh, action where he wants you to believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Okay. The second one is more of an evangelistic purpose. Um, He wants you, in believing that, wants you to have life in his name. And so... Um, I'm going to bring those things back up at the end of the sermon and, and so we'll, we'll talk them a, a little bit more. Um, so there are really two things here that I want to bring up at the end and one is the importance that you need to follow Jesus with all your heart, all your soul and you can add all your mind and all your strength. That's what the gospels say. Um, so that's one of the purpose hopefully that you'll get from this morning that you're here or on the videotape or over in the chapel. The second one is the importance of why you need to accept him as Savior. And we're gonna hit pretty hard on this one at the end um, because I think that some of us don't have a saving faith. I think some of us have a concept of what being a, a Christ follower is but don't have a saving faith. And we'll kind of break that down just a little bit. So let's break down the beginning there in chapter two, verse 12, it says, after he went down to Capernaum and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So this is right after the the water to wine, right? Uh, That our pastor preached on last week. And he went to Capernaum to rest for several days, for three days, actually. This doesn't say how many, but it's uh, three days. And so who's there? Uh, His mother, Jesus, of course, his mother, his brothers and his sisters because they're on their way to Passover. So the whole family was there and his disciples who were uh, Andrew, Peter, John, James, uh, Nathaniel, and Philip. That's the only six that he had at the time right now. And it's interesting that in uh, Matthew, um, I'm sorry, John chapter seven, it says at this point, his brothers had not even believed in him yet. So they were just going along because they were going to the Passover. It wasn't because they thought he was Christ. It wasn't that he was Messiah. He, they were just his brothers. And as a family, they were going to the Passover. And so they rested in Capernaum. Uh, very interesting. Uh, and I, you'll find out as we go along. I like history. And so I'm going to bring a lot of that into it. Capernaum was a town that was actually a, kind of a thriving metropolis. And they rested there for, for three days. And in Matthew 11, it says, if as many signs would have been done in Capernaum, as in Sodom, Sodom would still be around with us today. That's a lot of miracles, comparing to what Sodom was about back then. That's a lot of things that Jesus did. So, today we're gonna be talking about some conflicts. There are three conflicts in this scripture that we'll talk about. The first conflict is worship in the temple. Now, um, Jesus was talking about worship in the temple, and we're gonna talk about that, but we're also gonna be talking about worship in the temple. Makes a big difference, this temple, right? The second one is the conflict with the Jewish leaders. And from actually from the very beginning of his ministry, starting here all the way to the end, even after his resurrection, even to today, there is conflict with the Jewish leaders. And you could actually put any leaders in there, not necessarily Jewish, um, that there's conflict with as, as Christ followers. The third thing is. Um, and this is the one at the end that we'll spend a little time on: uh, conflict in the hearts of men. Um, and you'll find out why it was that way. So, conflict in the in the temple. Um, the miracle of the change, changing, uh, cleansing the temple. Now, most people would not say this is a miracle. I think it is, and I'll explain why I think it's that way, and maybe you, I'll change your mind. Um, but I think I'm pretty convincing when it comes to this, and so we'll see. So it says, "The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem, remember with his brothers, sisters, mom and disciples, and in the temple found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those Who sold pigeons? This is very interesting. He told those who were selling pigeons to take those things away. So he didn't turn them over or crash the cages. Just said, "Hey, get them out of here." And for the reason why, he says, "Do not make my father's house a house of trade." A better translation would be a house of business. Do not make my father's house a house of business. And his disciples remembered they had written, "Zeal in your house will." consume me so let's look at this for just a minute so this is jesus about 30th time that he's at the passover because he was a good jew and that's what jewish families did i'm gonna have a hard time talking to here but um so they uh go to the passover that's what you did right so it's about his 30th time in there he he kind of knew what was going on Um, interesting enough and most of you know but just for the ones who don't know this what the Passover is is uh, they were captive by the Egyptians and you know Charlton Heston came in and said let my people go and so they would let him go and so basically um, what had happened is God said okay I got you and so he brings some plagues and won't name all the plagues but the very last plague which is probably the most telling of all of them was the Passover angel. And so the deal was, if you didn't sacrifice and take the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the mantle or the header of the door, if that death angel, when they came over the city, didn't see that, then your firstborn would die. And so uh, I don't know if you saw the Ten Commandments, but you hear the moaning and groaning of moms and dads that night. Um, interesting that I, my thoughts convey back to movies I've seen, which is weird. But, um, and so... Uh, the ones who didn't have the sacrificial blood on the doors and the mantle, their children, firstborn died, um, which is tragic um, for that to happen. And so God in Deuteronomy said, hey, I want you to go ahead and practice this all the time. And then there were some other things happening around that celebration also. So Jesus and his family and his friends and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now this was familiar since Jesus had been there so many times, right? And so basically, um, there were oxen and there were lambs and there were doves and there was money changers and there were things that were going on. Um, interesting that this is the first of two cleansings that happened the, that Jesus did in the temple. Now some people, some theologians argue about that, but if you read the two different stories, one this one in the first in the of John, the second one is in uh, Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19. If you read about that one, he uses different scripture at the end of what he did to uh, not justify, but to basically talk about what the actions he had just taken. Um, so at some point, and there's, these are important too, but at some point, all of the animal people and all of the money changers and, and everybody moved from the outside of the temple to the inside of the temple. That's a very important. Um, there's reasons why we even had to have them. So uh, number one, uh, the reason why they moved, they didn't move, but the reason why is number one, you had to have an animal to sacrifice. And if you were going to the Passover with your family, you were dragging a oxen, or I can't imagine dragging an oxen, an oxen or a lamb or a dove, so that could be your family sacrifice, right? Well, first of all, they were traveling from all over. Um, I can imagine just traveling from my house to here, which takes me seven minutes to drive. If I was dragging an oxen with me, um, well, it'd take me a while. And they were coming from long, long places. So they had to have a blood sacrifice. The second reason is there was some financial gain. So when it was moved from outside the temple to the inside of the temple, the Pharisees started selling franchisements. And so they were selling uh, positions and places to people that were dealing with animals, with oxen and with lambs. And so they were getting a cut of the money, the Pharisees were, right? Um, And so, uh, bottom line is, it was, I I have to just think because of religious leaders and because church people, I don't know how you want to put that, how you want to take that, but church people were going, how can we do the best for our budget? That we need to do, and me make some money off of it. And so they decided to move it outside into the Gentile court where they did sold the animals. Um, also, what is interesting is that if you did bring a sacrifice, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the ones who qualified it to be a perfect sacrifice which meant, and I, actually Josephus, the historian, was saying close to 99% of the animals that were brought to the temple by the people were disqualified. And so you had to buy an animal for the family sacrifice, and you had to do the sacrifice. You just had to do that. So the third reason why is because the money changers were necessary because of the temple tax. Now, temple money was not spent anywhere except in the temple, you couldn't use it outside the walls in Jerusalem, couldn't use it anywhere. And so people were coming from all over the, the place, I was gonna say world, but I'm not sure that's true, but all over the place to come to do Passover and they were bringing the money of exchange that they had at their homes and so they had to have temple money to pay the temple tax so the money changers were necessary. So all that stuff sounds bad, but they needed to have those things. Now, I don't know about you, but again, movies, Right, um, When I think of Jesus coming in and do what he did, well, let me, let me go ahead. Well, yeah, w- w- I was thinking whatever, he, w- w- whatever it looked like was that, man, he was hot, he was mad, he was spitting mad, and he was turning over tables, and he was pushing people. I've seen a movie that did this. Pushing people around, and animals are running everywhere, and women were screaming, and children were running around, and all this happened. The problem is, that's Hollywood. That's not really what happened. And so, he did pick up some little ropes, little twine. It wasn't ropes, it was twine. Made a whip out of it. Now, I don't know that Jesus hit anybody, but he was making the action like he was going to, right? I can't imagine Jesus hitting anybody because, well, he's not like us, right? We have to persuade people sometimes. But there's a reason why his persuasion was different than ours. And so he, he's, the, all these people are running around, the animals, he turns over the money changers. Now it's interesting that the money changers can pick up their money. The animal people who sold the animals could get their animals on the outside because we're not talking about 15 different franchises. I mean, we're talking about one for oxen, one for lamb, and they just kind of brought them in that way. All right? And then he says, to the people who have the doves, I'm on, I'm, I'm apologize ahead of time because I don't do this real well. Okay, we're not there yet. And so bottom line is he tells the people with the doves to pick up the cages and leave. He didn't turn them over and the birds are flying everywhere. So nobody lost anything when it came to monetary uh, value at all. Animal changers would get their animals except for maybe a few people who might have picked up some of the coin that hit the ground. They pretty much got their money back, right? And then the doves are outside. But then he says, don't make my temple, don't make my house a place of business. Of course, nowadays we would say, that means you can't sell Tupperware. You can't, uh, I can't think of anything else you could do. With, uh, 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 what would, uh, You know, they have this uh, decorative stuff that pe- women sell now, like Tupperware and I don't know what it's called, but so we don't allow that here because of that. Whether that's real or not or good or not, I don't know, but we just don't allow that. Um, If you're going to sell something, you can't do it in our church just because of this scripture. So bottom line is, um, so I'm gonna get into a little bit of history. Josephus, the historian who was alive at that time, who by the way is not a believer, just a historian, wrote down a lot of stuff about this incident. So he was basically saying that Jerusalem had about 400,000 people who lived in the township of Jerusalem. Not in the walls, of course, but in, around Jerusalem. But during the Passover, it swelled to be about 1.7 million is what he estimated. Now, I don't know how you, how you count that or how you guess that, but that's the number that he had written down. And so at every, any given time, 20,000 people or so were in the temple itself. So you think Jesus, right? European Jesus with the long brown hair and the blue eyes, right? wearing the Nazarene robe, and he's chasing 20,000 people out of the temple, right? <laughs> no, that's not what's happening. So along in the temple are temple guards. And they, there's about probably 300 of them, Josephus said, regularly. And of course, when the Passover happened, they had to, had to recruit more. And so Tommy's over here, I see. And so he's, he's recruiting more people because Fort Mill is packed, right? Well, that's what they did in Jerusalem. They had to get more people in there to help with the crowds, even if it was just crowd control, right? They estimate that 25,000 sacrifices were made between three o'clock and six o'clock that evening. And by the way, the Passover sacrifice was only done in one day. The celebration was for a long time. But the actual, the actual sacrifices were only done in one day in a three-hour uh, time. Now, um, that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of animals. I mean, whether was, even if you had 25,000 doves, that's a lot of animals, right? And so bottom line is, um, there were just an enormous amount of people. So Jesus took the cords and he made a whip at them and he started... Doing this number—that's what we—that's a I picture I have in my mind anyway. He's you know doing that number, trying to chase people, and somewhere along the line, oh, one thing I didn't tell you: uh, the Romans, um, Octavian actually, had built a fort called Fort Antony, and it is actually on the west wall of the temple, overlooking the Gentile court where all the stuff was happening, and they built it high enough where they could look over and see inside the temple court. And so a garrison of, of Roman soldiers were there. So at any given time, whether it was a bar Jesus or anybody that was political, they could come into the temple gates and just quash that completely with the garrison. That's if the Roman, guards, Roman temple guards or the uh, temple guards had not already taken care of it. And this is pretty interesting. This is why I call it a miracle. Josephus does not write anything about the temple guards nor the Roman garrison coming down and doing anything. So, somehow, 20,000 people, animals, children, families, coins, doves, somehow move out of the temple in an orderly fashion. So, it doesn't raise the, the watchful care of the soldiers or the temple guard. That's a miracle. I mean, you think about it. If someone, you know, I, I think I've got to throw this in. So Clemson's going to meet next week against 17,000 people, just in case you wondered about that. Um, go Tigers. And so bottom line is, can you imagine having one entrance, all right, the main entrance, and trying to get just those 17,000 people out of there without any kind of commotion? Well, at a Clemson game, they're throwing their beer and all kinds of junk. But anyway, regardless of that, trying to get him out. They're, that's pretty, that's havoc. That's not orderly. That's not, in, that's not without any commotion. But somehow Jesus did it. And the reason why he did it was a simple fact that he had the power of God on his life. And God's power can do anything. It can cost 20,000 people and maybe more, maybe a few less, to walk out of there with the animals and the coin changers, who are probably pretty upset. And even the Pharisees, because they're outside the temple when they're questioning him in just a minute. And the people with the doves. And they're not upset. And I can just, you know, nowadays, I could just, you know, just one big guy, which Israelites are not very big, but just one big guy could grab Jesus and say, What the heck are you doing? And it didn't happen either why are you messing up our worship? This is the high point of our year. We're all in the temple here and we're all in the community and we're worshiping. What are you doing? Didn't happen either. Um, So the Jews expected the Messiah to come and attack the Gentiles. Instead, the Messiah came and attacked them at their highest point, their worship. They expected a conquering warrior to come and punish the nations who had taken them captive and who treated them badly. But they just got basically a a picture of what is going to happen in the future with God having control over everything. So so God's power was demonstrated and actually um, this is what a scripture that basically speaks to this and this is in Psalm. You will not delight in sacrifice nor would I give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, will not, uh, you will not be despised. So when you talk about worship, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about a people who have a broken heart over their sin. They're not trying to hide it. They're trying to get past it. They're trying to do what they have to do that God has allowed them to do for them to get past that sin. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a struggle. It's confusing sometimes. And then a contrite heart is a humble heart. And let's face it, we in America, we in Fort Mill, in South Carolina, don't have humble hearts. I'll just speak to the men because I I can speak to women, but I won't know what I'm talking about. But I'll speak to the men. It's hard to humble ourselves before people and say we don't know what we're doing and we don't know how to handle it. It's hard. It's very hard. We don't have the words to say because, I mean, we're, we're men, right? I mean, we can do this. And so we don't live up to that psalm for sure. The second... Uh, conflict that we have here is in uh, John 2, uh, chapter 18 through, I mean, uh, verse 18 through 22. And it says, so the Jews said to him, "What, sh- what sh- I'm sorry, what sign do you show uh, for doing these things? And Jesus said, uh, answered them, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It has taken us 46 years to build his temple and you will raise it up in three days. And I can imagine the smirk on their face when they're saying this. But he was speaking about the temple of his body and when when therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I think this is interesting, this last part, because it says... um, uh, let's see. And when he let's see, but but when he was speaking about the temple of the body, uh, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture. And that leads me to believe they hadn't believed the scripture yet. They still didn't really understand the Old Testament and what it was saying. And what scripture? Well, they're talking about the Old Testament, all the things that led up to that. Um. And so they believed the Old Testament and they believed the words that Jesus spoke. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I've never met anybody like Jesus. Every once in a while, I think I'm him. I don't know about you. But I've never met anybody like that. But I've got to believe that when we do, we're going to be so stinking blown away that we're not going to know what to do. I think everybody's going to go, oh, you hear this all the time. Well, I want to ask them about this. Bull. That's crazy. We're gonna be so blown away by who he is and what he is and his magnificence and his excellence and his holiness that we're not asking no questions. We're doing exactly what the Bible says in Revelation. We're taking our rewards that he gave us because we did good stuff and we're throwing them at the feet of Jesus because we're not worthy. And so it's about time we start acting like we're not worthy today, right now. Um, so basically the Pharisees are saying this who do you think you are you ever remember he said that to you I've had people say that to me actually a lot who do you think you are show us a sign well at this point Jesus hadn't done too many signs yet remember he just came from from the, uh, the water to wine and his ministry had started very far before that and it was a family affair and then he came here we're talking about seven, eight, maybe nine days and he goes to the temple and he does all this after nine days they didn't know who he was I mean, he wasn't a Levite, right? He had no rights in the temple. I mean, he was just a worshiper. He didn't belong to the priesthood. He didn't belong to the Sanhedrin. He didn't belong in any Levitical order. He wasn't in the priestly line. So Jesus had no right in the temple whatsoever except the simple fact that he was a worshiper. That's all. He was just us. He was one of us when it came to that. Now, we, we know that he wasn't. Plus, again, Jesus had just started his ministry, so they didn't know who the heck he was. Now, they probably maybe had heard about the wine to water thing that was going on that Pastor Jeff preached last week, but not many of them probably knew what was really going on when it came to that. So verse 23 says this, it was during the feast, what feast? It was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which follows the Passover, okay? So we're talking about so far, two weeks. During the Feast of the Unleavened, he... They were observing his signs, which he was doing. So he was, he was knocking it out when it comes to signs during the unleavened bread, after the Passover happened, after they had asked the question and what they had asked. So what were they looking for? Well, they were looking for some kind of astronomical sign. They were looking for a sign from God. Um... At this point, my mind wanders around to Peter Popoff and O.W. Grant and uh, people who are selling water that's blessed. People who are selling uh, prayer cloths that they, I don't know if they wiped their sweat on it. I don't know what they did, but they're selling them. Thinking that you got a leg up because you buy them. Shysters. Oh, and by the way, there are some people... That, that, that we listen to that aren't selling anything monetarily, but they're selling things spiritually, and it's garbage. If it is not faith alone, through Christ alone, and the Bible in the word alone, then it's garbage. I'm teaching through the book of First John, and he's basically saying, there's nothing new. Someone comes up with something new, don't believe them because it's not new, it's from our founding fathers, not George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Jesus, that's where it's from. So don't be led astray by junk that's out there. So they wanted an astronomical sign, some sign from God, a, a, a holy fireworks display that he had the power to do what he did. Well, he didn't do that, as a matter of fact, Jesus kind of looked at him and said, hey, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. But it's gonna be a sign deferred. It's not gonna be a sign right now. He didn't say that. He didn't explain it. But he says in verse 19, destroy the temple in three days and I will rise it up. Well, of course, they missed that. Uh, They didn't understand what he was saying. Interesting, in Matthew 12, it says, an evil and adulterous generation prays for a sign. I'm not gonna believe by faith. I'm gonna believe in a sign. Got to see evidence. Got, got to have it in front. It's got to be in the flesh and blood. It's interesting, Jesus did miracles afterwards and they still put him on the cross. So they withered man's hand in the temple. So he had power over the temple and on the Sabbath and demons were raised and people could hear and people I could see and people raised from the dead. And in spite of all that, those signs were earthly signs. They weren't the kind of signs they were looking for. And so they could kind of put that in their own, um, I'm going to say this is going to sound bad, but they had a trump card. No political deal involved with that. But their trump card was, those are from the earth. Those aren't from God. And I'm kind of thinking, whoa, hold it. Some of those things got to be from God. I mean, anybody ever raised to be from the dead in here? I mean, seriously, some of those have got to be from God. And so he said that about raising the temple up and if, if he were alive today and he said that here at First Baptist Church and hopefully we wouldn't be the Pharisees, hopefully we'd be the worshipers, but you never know. And so he would say that and it would be on every Twitter feed, there'd be someone on TikTok dancing around saying the same words, there'd be uh, Instagram, would be full, Facebook would be full. I mean, be, it be, had gone viral all over the world, even in China even though they don't allow our propaganda. Even in China, it'd be all over the place. And you kind of go, how do you know? Well, interesting enough, God's word proves itself out a lot. And so back. bottom line is in Mark. This is a, the, the scripture where Jesus had told them to go and wait for him. And uh, they did what we would have done. They went fishing. They went back to what they knew to do, which is not what Jesus asked them to do. And so he says this. Oh, that's the wrong one. This is, I'm sorry. This is three years later. I've got the wrong scripture. Um, yeah, okay. This is Mark 14. It says, many bore witness, false, uh, bore false witness against him by his testimony did not agree, and some stood and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made by hands, and in three days I will rebuild the temple not made by hands.' Well, if you look at what he said, he didn't say that. It's kind of like the press today, they kind of print and say kind of what they want to prove their point, and so they did about it. now. By the way, this is three years after. He said this in the temple. All right? And so, false witness they bore against him because it. So then in Matthew, no, wrong way. In Matthew 27, it says the two robbers were called again. This is all the way to the crucifixion. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, who uh, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God, come down for the cross. So three years later, all the miracles, all the things that happened, they still tried to use his words. Again, not his words. They still tried to use his words against him. Again, dealing on things in earth, not necessarily things in heaven. And by the way, he never did say, I will destroy it. He said, you will destroy it, talking to the Pharisees. Verse 20 says, the Jews, uh, the, the Jews then said, um, it took 46 years to build the temple. How will you raise it up in three days, sarcastically? Well, actually, this is a true statement. Uh, they started building the temple, and it's been 46 years to this point where they're building it. As a matter of fact, in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed again. And it's still not finished. Josephus says this thing still wasn't finished. They were trying to build it so magnific- ma- magnificent, well, big. Yeah. Can say that. <laughs> Thank you. And he said, um, and he was speaking of the temple of the body. And I've got to believe that when Jesus said that, he didn't say, "You will destroy the temple." I think he was saying, "You will destroy the temple," and it makes a big difference what he's saying and so it says where therefore he was raised from the dead his disciples remember and said to him and they believed the scripture again the scripture being the thing most but just so that you could if you're like some people i know you have to have evidence um there it is in psalm 16 it says for you will not abandon my soul to shield this is david writing the psalm And then he goes on to say, or let your holy one see corruption. Well, who is this holy one? Jesus is. So Jesus was never going to see corruption. Um, And again, the word of the Lord. So let's go to the third conflict. And this one is where I don't want to rest a long time, but I do want to rest there for a minute. So... Scripture says, now when, uh, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, they, many believed in his name and when they saw the signs that he was doing, um, but Jesus did not, uh, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew the people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So the word therefore believe is pastudo in the Greek and it means believe. Well, the word that Jesus uses there when he said he would not believe is bastudo. And so bottom line, what it's saying is they believed in him, but he didn't believe in them. And it goes on basically to explain why. Now, and y'all know the scripture. Many will say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name and I did that in your name. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Oh, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. You mean it's not by works? We don't have to do works? Oh, no, no, slow down. I don't want you to misread this. Works are a product of my faith. And that's just what happens because I'm a Christ follower. I love people and I do things. Now I will tell you this, before I was a Christ follower, I didn't love too many people. There was a great change in my heart and in my life because of that. Because of the difference that he made. It says that demons believe in tremble. They don't get saved, but they believe in tremble. Um, you remember the story about the soils? It's got four soils, three of them um, come by, the birds eat out of one, another one gets a little bit of sprout, another one gets a bigger sprout, and it's choked up by the thicket, but it's because of the way the things are in the world, it is destroyed, and so there's no fruit. Now, some people would argue to say out of those three soils, there's actually three soils who are saved. No, 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 no. Unless you produce fruit, spiritual fruit, you're not saved. Now, I don't mean, I think it's interesting. I have the gift of service, okay? So it's very easy for me to see people's needs and in doing so, I go and help people. I just, we just do that. I mean, anybody on staff, they have something, whether you're a children, whether you're with teenagers, whether you're doing music, if you need help, you can come to my office and I will help you. I'll do whatever I have to do. If you're a church member, same thing. I've been to many houses changing out toilets just because that's what you do when you have the gift of service and you're a Christ follower. You serve the body. That's what you do. But some people would say, if I do that, that makes me a Christ follower. That's the evidence of me being a Christ follower. No, no, no. Let me tell you what the evidence of being a Christ follower is. Repentance. Repentance is evidence of you being a Christ follower. And this is interesting because uh, this um, guy here, this old hippie guy in the 70s, doing all the junk that was part of what was going on during that time, when I became a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me and reside in me and my life was changed, it was changed! Completely! I mean, no one would volunteer to do student ministry for over 40 years. That, and that's, that's crazy. Some people think walking through the door with your mask on is proving that you're saved. No, it just means you've got a mask on and you're doing what whoever told you to do, do. I go to Lowe's a lot because I work on my house a lot and says, wear a mask. Guess what? I wear a mask. I'm very rebellious though. All right, I, I put it down underneath my nose. That's my rebellion for masks. You think I'm kidding, but some of you are smiling because you probably do the same thing. My point is this. It has nothing to do with what you do. It has so, a lot everything to do with what you did and what you are doing continually. It's a mark of repentance. Hearts of Matter did there. There we go. If you abide in my word, and uh, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word. Now, are we sinners? Yes. Are we fallen? Yes. That means repentance happens all the time. You don't save it up. Uh, I'm gonna tell this about Trish. My wife sitting back here, I love her. She's my sweetheart. She's my friend. She's also the Holy Spirit in my family sometimes. Moms, you would understand that. When she we, we belonged to a church that was very um, works-oriented when we got saved. It was a mega church back in the 70s. And I remember our pastor getting up and preaching this, this uh, title of her sermon was Wheat and Tares. He preached it quite often. He was famous for that sermon. She got saved a bunch because she realized there was something in her life that wasn't matching up to what he said you needed to be. So she continued to get saved. She only got, well, she got baptized in Jordan River, but just got saved, baptized once in church. It's confusing, isn't it? When we live our lives the way we live our lives and then we, we mess it up and do something wrong, you kinda go, and I've heard people say this, there's no way you can be a Christian and do that. Well, that's not your judgment call. I said, I, I, one church I was a staff member on, I got a, in a little bit of hot water because the pastor said, "Well, well, how do you know people are saved? I said, well, I don't. I just assume everybody's lost. Because then you share the gospel with them and they may be saved. And if they are saved, they shouldn't get mad at me about it. Right? should just the help of that insurance that they have already in their life. So how do we know that God knows when we're saved? Well, actually, he's given several advantages. I'm going to try to have to run right through this. But this is... Uh, Jesus talking to Peter and basically Peter, I'll, I started this earlier, basically he tells his disciples to go do something and they go and fish and it says this. When you were finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? These being the things that he went back to, the things that he knew and was familiar with. And he said, yes, Lord, you, I, you, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time. And I can just imagine Peter, Peter's got a little bit of my personality, He's probably pretty frustrated about that Jesus, like, hey, you didn't hear me? Come on, what's up with this? And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Even the disciples back then knew that he was sovereign, knew that he was in control of it all. And you kind of go, well, okay, well, that's the present at the time back it was written. So let's go on. Verse 18 says, truly, truly, I say to you. Did I miss it there? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you, were dre- you dressed yourself and walked everywhere you wanted, and when you were old, you will stretch forth your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying that, he said, follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but someone said, hey, you're going to be crucified. Follow me. I'm kind of going, oh, hold it now. Let's not, let's not get too radical, Right? Let's not get too much into this. Let's not put too much into what we're saying and what we believe. But Peter did. And just like he knew Peter's past when he was a fisherman, to his present time then when he was a fisher of men, to his future when he would be crucified, just like he knew that, he knows ours and he knows our heart. And he knows... (laughs) When I was a kid, they used to have a phrase, a little song thing. Faker, faker, belly aker." Right? Well, I'm saying that to your faith. Faker, faker, belly aker. Are you faking it? Is it real? Have you repented? Because that's the deal. Have you turned? Let's face it. We are not always successful when we're turning away from our sin. Offender, not always successful. That don't mean I don't keep trying, though. No. That don't mean I start relying, relying more and more on the Lord and more and more on the Holy Spirit and more and more on God to overcome those things. Because one, oh, this is I used to tell this to the teenagers all the time. You will never become sinless, but you will sin less. You will. Um, the only way you can know if that's true in people's lives, is to communicate with them and commune with them and be a part of their families. Uh, by the way, that's what the church is. Uh, and, and be together. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw this in. This is a freebie. It has nothing to do with I'm fixing to say but, uh, because bottom line is God is sovereign over everything. If you are a parent of a child or a parent of a teenager, and you're, I'm preaching to the church, if you'll do what's important to you when it comes to the church, your children will do what's important to you when they get older because you've showed them the example. What's stopping you from being who you're supposed to be? What, I, mean, I don't know what it is. But if you're like me, you've got something there. And he says to repent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. Um, Father, just um, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust in it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes in and just penetrates the hardest parts of our heart so that we can be right with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.